Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. <clears throat> Today is Wednesday, August the 17th, 2022. This is episode 3,147 of the Survival Podcast. Yeah, we'll hit 3150, I guess, this week, or will it be Monday? I'm not sure. My days are all off since I started doing Bitcoin Breakout. I'm doing two uh, episodes a week, 48. It'll be Monday. Monday, we'll hit 3150 of the Survival Podcast. Isn't that cool? What do we got today for an interview lined up? Um, one we almost missed, and I'm so glad we didn't miss it. Recently, I was calling through some emails, and I found several guest forms from, like, Four months ago, where these people just think, he's a jerk. He didn't even tell me no. He didn't even get back to me. And I'm like, all of these are great. And one of the best ones was from a gal named Bonnie Cow, C-A-O, Bonnie Cow. And she is living in a dry climate, uh, or leaving, living in a dry cabin in a cold climate. She moved to Fairbanks, Alaska, right at the start of the COVID's BS. And she had a really good, high-paying job in Oregon and was like, I'm getting the hell out of here anyway. And she's now driving a shuttle for people going on expeditions and stuff like that just south of Fairbanks, Alaska, living the dream. Living the dream and being somewhat off-grid at the same time. If you've never heard of a dry cabin, it, it, it's kind of self-explanatory. It's You have a cabin... You have water, but you have no running water. You have to you know, bring your water in one way or another. So you don't have plumbing in the conventional sense. And it's actually something that a lot of people do <clears throat> in the Pacific Northwest, especially up until like Alaska and also in, uh, in, in Western Canada as well. And we'll talk about you know, what that teaches you about preparedness. But my, my bigger thing on this story is I want to dig into Bonnie with the idea of you don't have to live the life that you think you have to live. If there's something that you would prefer as a way of life, there's a way to get it if you go out and make it happen. And we'll have Bonnie on in just a minute. Before we do that, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is J.M. Bullion. Guys, Precious Metal has a multi-thousand-year history of being a store of wealth. I have become hugely involved with Bitcoin over the years. You guys know that. But I have made a recommendation for wealth preservation that is very conservative since 2008 when I started this show. And it's never changed. 5 to 10% of your net wealth should be in precious metals, silver and or gold. I really believe that. I still believe that to this day. And I love working with J.M. Bullion. I just had a customer with a question. It wasn't really a problem, more of a question. I reached out to somebody over there today. It didn't warrant going to the president. I can if I need to, but it didn't. And immediately I got a response back saying, hey, let me help this guy out. That's the kind of relationship I want with a company where if something's there, you know, I can make something happen for you. Precious metals are a business with razor-thin margins, and it, it results in... At times, companies seeing customers more as a problem than a benefit. 
especially when you're dealing with really large institutions, Monex, Atmix, Lear Capital, things like that. And so what happens is they turn around and they want to sell you really high-value numismatic coins because there's more margin in that instead of just selling you what you're really looking for, that base-value metal, silver eagles or silver rounds, bars, etc., That's what JM specializes in. They do a great job. They even do a discount for members of my MSB, and all orders ship free. There's really no reason that you should be doing business with anybody other than JM Bullion when you're stacking silver and or gold. Next up today, the Ridge Wallet. Um, Ridge has turned into this really great EDC company. They have so much more than just the wallet now, but I love the Ridge Wallet. I love that encasing my payment cards, like my fold card from yesterday with that RFD ID tag in titanium protects it from being sniffed out by other, you know, like nefarious actors out there that want to steal identity and credit card information and things like that. They also have a bunch of other cool stuff. You really should check them out at RidgeWallet.com. And, uh, again, they're another MSB supporter. 10% off everything they sell available uh, to MSB members. With that, let's drop on into the live feed and catch up with uh, Bonnie about living in a dry cabin in a cold climate. And we are live, finally. We had some technical difficulties. Monty's kind of low in the frame, but that's what we can do. She's had to sleek off to a dorm room at work to do this. So thank you for joining us today from the wilds of the interior of Alaska, Bonnie. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I have lots of stories that I love telling, and so, yeah. So let's start off with you know you lived in Oregon and right about the time the whole COVID thing started you bailed and went to Fairbanks um, and I think a lot of times people tend when they hear Fairbanks if they've never been to Alaska they think it's a bigger place than it is just because they got an airport everybody knows the name Fairbanks it's a pretty rural area area and it ain't down by Juneau it's it's in the middle of Alaska kind of sort it's it's a cold climate there's a lot of stuff I can say about Oregon, it's bad, but the climate isn't one of them. So why leave, you know, permaculture utopia, temperate climate Oregon to go freeze your butt off in Alaska? Well, <laughs> I always said I couldn't imagine anywhere else that I'd want to live other than Oregon. I was, I grew up in Portland. I loved my hometown. Um, but, you know, they've gone a little bit off the deep end. Yeah. I spent 14 years driving public transportation there. So I got to see it on the front lines. And I got burned out on that. I had a friend that had moved up here and she kept telling me, Hey, you've got to come up. It's a, you'd love it. You'd love it. You'd love it. So I decided in uh, 2019, I'd come visit her at the end of January, early February to see if I could handle the dark <laughs> and the cold. And um, the answer was yes, including she lives in a dry cabin. So that includes the outhouse at 20 below, <laughs> which is an adventure. Yeah. And um, I, I actually decided I liked it enough. Let me see what properties, what property values are. And I found a piece of raw land, 23 acres that I could afford. And, um, kind of leveraged. I had to refinance my property in Oregon anyway, bought a piece of property. I still intend to put a cabin on it, but that's part of the adventure and part of the long story. And so I was, I was making sure I was running to something, not just from. So got up here and I've been here for two years 
I actually left my job driving bus at the end of um, March of 2020, right before they threw all of the mask restrictions and all of the craziness really cut loose. I feel so fortunate that I already had plans because I would not have done so well if I had actually stayed in Portland through all of that. I was already, you know, kind of, it was affecting my health in so many ways. So I had to leave it and I'm glad I found a way. Yeah. I I have to imagine that, you know, we technically had restrictions everywhere, but I'm thinking probably central Alaska, there had to be an awful lot of people that were like, that's nice. That's Mm -hmm. fine. You guys go do that. Sure. We're on board. Okay. There's a lot of that. Uh, You know, I got up here and I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do for work. Temporary job. A friend of mine, um, she does housekeeping. And um, sorry if you hear the growling in the background. I have a dog that wants to let me know people around. So she hooked me up with one of her friends that does maintenance housekeeping. And that friend, her opinion was, let me make a lace mask. I will do the show, (laughs) but it'll be just about as useful as, you know. So, yeah, I got away with not wearing masks for most of my time from the beginning. Yeah. Even though I did end up working in a tourist job. Huh. Yeah, and so, that probably, like, that was, I think, your, from your notes, was kind of like your initial plan, and that probably got pushed back a bit when the travel mm-hmm. got shut down and things like that. Um, yeah, I got up here. I, You know, part of the things I want to do on my cabin is I want to make a couple of, like, oh, I don't know, something that, what's that camping, the Airbnb for camping where people oh, come uh, in. camp. Yeah, something like the hip camp and, um, you know, have some wall tents or um, little cabins that people can come in, stay and kind of do the exploration on the low budget. But that would still give me an income stream from the land. And we'll see how that works out. I'm yeah. In 2020, my friend's husband has one of the Woodmiser, one of the sawmills and the idea was here I've got this stack of about 50 logs from clearing the space for my cabin and his sawmill will make my lumber Mm. 2020 that was going to save me about five thousand dollars Q 2021 it would have saved me ten thousand dollars and his poor little sawmill keeps breaking I have yet to get my lumber made and so I have yet to have a cabin built and so I've um, the last two winters I spent in an RV on my friend's property, um, bring my water in, keep the generator going, and uh, generators don't like it when it hits 20 below. No. They really don't like it at 40 below. No. They're not real fond of 10 below. They no. They'll do it, but they're not happy about it, right? So, like, the oh, cold yeah. will from there, you know. 40, so, yeah. is, 40 is where seeing an F. <laughs> cross and they are the same that's how cold 40 is yeah uh i like to tell people 20 below you kind of feel it hurts your face 25 below it's uncomfortable to breathe 
30 below, you'll come back in thinking, wait, am I getting sick? I feel a sore throat coming on. And then you drink some water and warm up and you realize you're okay. It's just that the cold, dry air stole all the moisture out of your throat and it started hurting. Yeah. So when I got this, I I got this this spring and somehow it went into, I I said email hell in the, in the uh, intro part. And it's really purgatory because it came back out. If it went to hell, it would have never been seen again. And uh, I, I went through it and I found like yours are like three other people's that somehow in that period of time just went away. They didn't go away, but they went where I didn't know they were there. And I'm like, shit, we should do this. I'm like, dry cabin. And, and it took me like a second in my head to go. That probably means there's no plumbing, right? But I was mm-hmm. like, that sounds interesting in cold climate. That sounds interesting. So what's different about a dry cabin versus just saying you're off grid? Okay. Um. Well, you know, when you say off-grid, what does it mean to you? I've had people that tell me off-grid means you're not even using gasoline for a generator or you have a driver's license, so you're not off-grid. Um, <laughs> for me, off-grid is I'm not connected to the power grid. I'm not connected to a septic system or sewer system, really. Um, you know, any of the typical utilities that you'd put on a property when you build a house They're not here. I can connect to the power grid. Actually, my property, when I get everything built, it is within a quarter mile of the road where there is a power line. But the it was just like 50 feet in Alaska. If you're a quarter mile from power (laughs) where you are, that's like (laughs) me being 50 feet from the road Um, of the residence, right? 1450, 1450 feet. That was, we had to put in the driveway that's a 1,450 feet from the road because it goes between my property was raw land and it was kind of landlocked. So there's a line on the map that says, here's where you can put a driveway. Okay. And so that was the first time I did it so I could have access, easy access to the property because hiking through these woods is exhausting. You have moss that's like, oh, I don't know, ankle deep. It feels like you're walking on a mattress to go across. Um, so, uh, we had to get the driveway put in. It's 1400 feet. I actually talked to a guy from the power company and he said, oh yeah, absolutely. We can put in power. Um, every 500 feet, we put in another pole plus the line and every pole is going to cost you $3,000. So I have a savings goal of $15,000 to put in power at some point. And until then I know how to run a generator. Mm. Um, as far as generator, what we were running is the little Honda 2200. Okay. It sips gas. You go through about 25 gallons a week on gas. Okay. But of course, you know, this year versus last year versus when I first got up here, it's just gone up and up and up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, your power bill is your gasoline bill. Yeah. Yeah. I've always so, looked at off grid as more of a percentile. Like, mm-hmm. am I off grid? I've got, I've got grid power, so no. But mm-hmm. I've got a well, so I'm off, I'm off the water grid, right? Yeah. I have, I have my own septic solution, so I'm off the septic grid. And mm-hmm. so I think that like the purist that says, well, you're not off grid if you have a drive, whatever. I, you go away. <laughs> you just go. Yeah, find you're it. crazy. Probably, probably it and off grid with money let alone anything else. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. 
But a dry cabin, right, that means that we don't have plumbing. So uh, I'm yes. off the water grid, but I do have plumbing. Well, dry cabin, I, plumbing maybe is not the right word. I don't have running water. Yeah. yeah. So you you don't necessarily go straight to your sink and turn on the faucet and it flows and you don't have to worry about it. Um, so the way I was running it with my son and I living in an RV with no plumbing, in summer, I could go get a bucket of water out of the creek, heat it up on the stove, and take a shower in the shower thing. Okay. Five-gallon bucket of water, I could still have two and a half gallons left after everything's rinsed. Yeah. But, um, and it would just drain out onto the ground. Uh, you come to winter, it's a little different. We would bring in five-gallon jugs, you know, like the ones you'd see on top of the water cooler in the office. You can get those with the screw top lids. They have these 24 hour water stations up here. About 50 to 75 cents would fill up three jugs. And that's right. about all we needed for cooking and drinking and washing dishes for the week. Okay. Um, showers and laundry are different. I, I'm fortunate enough. The place that I work, the shop that they have in town has a shower and a laundry. And so okay. that's where we or some of that stuff. If you don't have access to that, the best laundromats have showers. So you bring your laundry in, get it going, an extra five bucks gets you a shower, kind of like a truck stop shower, and you're set. Yeah. And Which tells me know, that this is not uncommon where you are. Like, if you go to a laundromat in Fort Worth, you're not taking a shower. Right. Exactly. But if you're good Fairbanks, I mean, you probably it's are. It's a reflection of the needs of the community. Hey, yeah. there's, a, there's a place about, what is it, 11 miles up the Elliott Highway where here's this big neighborhood, and you, you're driving along the highway, and you notice there's this huge bank of mailboxes. There's got to be 50, 60 mailboxes, and it's for this one neighborhood and probably for properties across the valley up on the next ridge. It's almost the farthest neighborhood in the area. Okay. And the building right behind it has a sign that says laundry and shower. So they've yeah. got their septic in, they've got their well in, and they're able to earn some money by providing a service to their neighbors. So their neighbors don't have to go all the way into Fairbanks. Gotcha. And so now I just going to yeah. say, I, you know, if when I made this, thing of coffee right before I got on a horn with you, I went to my sink and I turned it on and water came out of it and it's, it's pretty convenient. And uh, so why would a person choose this? Is it just like there is no other option or the other options that expensive or what, what, why would you choose to live without running water? If you, you know, it is absolutely possible in Fairbanks to get a house or an apartment or whatever, where everything's normal. You're all hooked up. In fact, you know, my son and I looked at each other and said, two winters, there will not be a third in this RV. And it, it's not because it's a dry cabin or anything. It's just it was an RV. Yeah, and yeah. here, my 24-year-old, six-foot son is being nice, letting me use the bed, and he's on the couch. I got you. Um, <laughs> so he ended up renting an apartment, and I've got an arrangement with work, so I won't, you know, have to do the RV thing. <clears throat> so... However, when you do decide to live farther outside of town, there's reasons for having to be, you know, maybe a dry cabin. 
Um, one of the things, my property in particular, I was talking with the neighbors and they said, yeah, we put our well in. And when we had our water tested, it actually came out fairly high in naturally occurring arsenic. You know, Alaska is well known for all the gold rush and all of the minerals. Um, We've got some pretty big gold mines still. There's like a mini gold mine right outside of Fairbanks. And there's, you know, all this gold history. But with that gold, there's other minerals that come along with it. Not all of them are good to ingest. Mm. So when you get your well put in, you might also have to spend three or five thousand dollars probably more at this point because that's how much they spent five years ago. Yeah. The water treatment system. Um, you, Cause you don't even want to, it's not just having on the counter, the Berkey to filter your water so you can drink it. What are you putting on your garden? If you're going to grow a garden, yeah, if dude. you put the, one of their neighbors had actually done that and contaminated their entire garden area with arsenic. So now they're eating it in their vegetables, mm. groundwater naturally occurring. So it's easy to bring water in from elsewhere. Well, easy. Um, Do people look at using like rain catch and roof snow melt as as a water source as well, though? I mean. To a degree. In summer. The problem is when it's 40 below, your 1,500-gallon tank of water is a 1,500-gallon freaking ice cube. Well, here's a lot of people will actually install like a 500-gallon water tank inside some of them will have it outside with the really thick foam insulation and okay. a, a, like a heater inside and they'll have water trucked in. Okay. So, you know, you can have your not connected on the grid thing. Um, I feel like my, my video is getting lower here. I think you're shrinking um, on us here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I'm going to recenter. All right. <laughs> um, Okay, so they'll put in like a 500-gallon water tank and have it somehow in a way that it's not going to freeze. And they'll have the trucks come and deliver. Um, You get – actually, the place where I work has been mostly off-grid, except they're big enough now they decided to connect to the power grid last year. And they've had more power outages in the last year than they did running on generators. But – Filling water, you have a water truck come pump water into your tank as needed. Or you can put a tank. You'll see tanks, trucks going around with a a water tank in the back of their truck with their pickup trucks, and they'll fill it up, bulk fill at the water stations, and bring that and pump it into their house. Of course, you got to, you know, pay attention to the weather. If it's 20, 30 below, it'll freeze on its way out of the tank. Yeah, and just so people don't think this is an exclusive Alaska thing, I did a project, oh, 30 years ago out in a place called Graham in West Texas, and we mm-hmm. were putting in county water lines, and it was a, we ended up like going, guys, we're, we're going to pay our fine for not completing this, we're out of here because there's so much rock, we were destroying our equipment to put it in, but the people that we were trying to bring that water into, that's what they were doing right here in Texas, like they were trucking in water because it was the only option that they had. It's not like this is, this is something that is common in Alaska, but it's not unique to Alaska, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah. There's probably a lot of uh, temperate and any place where you're far enough. Another reason that you might truck your water in, have a dry cabin, 
there's places where it's 350, 400 feet down to put a well. Mm. And, you know, anything about wells, I don't know the cost of it, but the farther down you go, the more it is. Every the foot costs more. Go, right? and, if, and if you're drilling rock, and once you're that deep, yeah. you are, well, then it costs a lot more. I think a well in my area right now, in my area, is like 40 grand. Mm. Wow. If you can get one of the well drillers to come do it, because they're still doing so much gas exploration, that the gas company is going to have them drilling a well every week, nonstop for the next year. And they're afraid if they pull off that to drill your one well, that someone else is going to get that contract. So they don't even want to come do it. Exactly. They've got their places that they're making money and they're, they don't want to come do the little jobs because you're too little for them. Um, now, the other thing to think about is where is your dirty water going? That's what I was going to ask. So let me just <laughs> more thing about so, the fact that water comes here. into the top tank on the toilet, makes it go out the bottom one and into mm-hmm. my septic. So you've got that waste stream, and I guess you can handle that with composting toilets. But we also have, like, you take a shower, is a certain amount of runoff. You take a, a you give a kid a bath, you give wash a dog a bath. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, so it's, it's not just the human waste. It's, it's the waste stream as a whole. How, how do y'all yeah. handle that? So, um, pure dry cabin, outhouse. And, you know, there's different ways of setting up outhouses. There's places up here. Uh, let, me, let me back up just a tiny bit. Permafrost. Nobody thinks about permafrost, but you think when you got, let's say you've had a cold spell and you walk out to your backyard, your your kid's goldfish has died. And you're going to give a proper burial. Okay? OK, you try to dig into that ground under the snow and it's frozen. But if you dig, you know, I don't know, six inches, a foot and you'll get to that not frozen soil. It doesn't work like that up here. We have it frozen. It's It's almost opposite. And I'm still trying to completely wrap my head around it. But we will have soil frozen a hundred, couple hundred feet deep. And it's, yeah, I say soil, it's, it's dirt. I think a lot of what we've got up here is the glacial schist where it's like just ground up rock. It's powdery mm-hmm. silk stuff. It's like pumice. But in the, in the permafrost areas, only the surface will thaw out a few it. feet. 10, 20 feet down, and it's very, of course, all of the snow melt gets into it. So you have this black goo, mm-hmm. but it freezes in winter. So somehow you have to keep, if you put in a septic system, you have to keep it from freezing up solid. So you have the septic pumping companies, but they're also pumping and thawing. So if you're, if, for example, last year we had our first 20 below, and barely a foot of snow on the ground, and everybody was worried about it not being enough to insulate their septic systems. Um, and, the, you know, they were worried about their systems freezing, so they'd have to call out the pumpers to thaw out their septic system so they could even flush the toilet. So it, it really, especially if you're trying to do it on a lower budget, you don't have a pile of cash, but you... You go and you use the outhouse. And if you're in an area where it doesn't drain, maybe you have like a barrel at the bottom of the outhouse to capture that stuff so it can be pumped out. Um, 
there's there's so many different ways people will do it. And so where was I going with this? <laughs> My brain has like 20 different directions it's going. So, yeah, waste streams. Yeah, you can balance the, the septic system. You could balance doing the outhouse thing if you dare. Um, you, uh, for the basic water, we kind of set up, here's this place we're going to pour our dishwater. And so you go farther away from your house and it kind of like a French drain thing. And then just, you can dump out your dishwater or I suppose if you're doing a shower inside, you catch that water and go find a way to pour it out. I don't think I'd drain it with a hose because that's going to freeze before it gets all the way if it's cold enough. Yeah, I think people are confused a little bit with, like, the permafrost thing in the top thawing and the bottom not. But it, it's a thing, and it's like I did go on a caribou hunt one time uh, in, in the tundra, and I never got eaten by so many mosquitoes in my life. And that was like bathing in <laughs> mosquito repellent and wearing a head net. And oh, it's yeah. Everything, and everything's it, wet because when it thaws – there's yeah. that layer that's frozen below, and the, it, it might as well be clay-sealed pond. The water can't <laughs> penetrate, so it pools everywhere. Oh, and, yeah. you know, mosquito's perfect place to breed is not a lake like people think. It's a little thing about the size of my coffee cup, a little mucky hole where there's nothing in there to eat it. And, man, yeah. the tundra there in, this, in, in, in that time of year, I mean, you it's just like want your like, right out of the moss. It sounds like some kind of weird, like, electronic box, like humming. And that, well, that's mosquitoes. Oh, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I mean. <laughs> no. We had a crew come up. Um, some guys from Louisiana came up to do some of the construction where I'm working. And the first day, this one guy was here, like, the first 24 hours, it was the only thing he could talk about. I thought I knew mosquitoes. Oh, yeah. my Lord. It, they're they were a cloud. May and June are awful. We're finally at a point. It feels right now, yeah, it's August, but it feels kind of the way October does in Oregon. The trees are starting late September, early October, where it's gorgeous but not really hot. Yeah. And there's that crisp to the air. And you can feel the um, shift coming. Hmm? And you can feel the shift coming. You can oh, tell absolutely. change is happening. Yeah. We're yeah. in fall. Summer's yeah. kind of done. The mosquitoes Summer have fall. kind of faded back. They're not gone. (laughs) But yeah, the thing with interior Alaska is um, going back to the mosquito thing. We have our precipitation levels make us a desert. Mm -hmm. And yet we have wetlands everywhere. You have these valleys where all the snow melts and all of the permafrost melt or yeah, all the, all the thawing out, it all flows down into the valley. And here's this big flat area. And it kind of settles there and has to find little creeks to flow across the land because, yes, that permafrost is there like the bottom of a concrete pond. And it just doesn't let the water flow through it. It doesn't drain. And, you know, you can kind of see where the permafrost is closer to the surface, where it's affecting it more, where it's more damp, just by the trees that grow there. Yeah. So, So, um, like, I was going to get to that next. Like, what do you guys do for heat? I mean, you do have tree cover, but it's not, you know, if you're down in, in, in South Alaska, there's freaking spruce everywhere. It's it's forest everywhere. I don't think you're as heavily treed, are you guys? Or um, We do have a lot of trees. Okay. Actually, this last June, we had a lot of forest fires. That, 
that provided a bit of adventure for me. I got to go drive bus for the fire crews. Um, but yes, we have a lot of, we're actually in what's called the boreal forest. We have the black spruce. We have white okay. spruce. We have birch. We have alder, willow, cottonwoods right. and such. Yeah. So we're definitely so, with what is the way then. Oh, yes. The birch especially. Um, I actually got into a conversation with a couple of guys outside Costco and they said they work reforesting. They replant trees because they'll take X number of acres. Some like he said about a hundred acres for tim for lumber. So that would probably be the white spruce mostly, mainly. And then another 200 acres for heat. So they'll take birch because birch is a good hardwood and it'll burn well. It does the best for firewood. And so they go back in after they, they've cut trees and they'll replant. I got you. But um, actually one of the things, and it is getting more expensive as – fuel prices go up, but we ended up using a Toyo stove. It's like a drip oil stove. Um, it's pretty popular up here, different versions of it, small, large. Uh, but being in this RV, my friends had a small one that was just perfect right inside the door. The first year we were up here, the first time it hit 20 below, we had to learn how to get keep our generator alive. We made a little doghouse. You end up putting the, the solid foam inside as insulation mm-hmm. so it can keep warm with its own heat. And then we thought we were golden. Next time it hit 20 below, we had power, but where's the heat? We turned on the heater in the RV and it's blowing cold air. Mm. Turns out propane froze in the hose. (laughs) So number one, we put put that little heat tape like you'd put on your plumbing on your laundry out in the garage. Yeah. And that plugged in. So that wouldn't happen again. So at least we could cook. And then because my friends had one of these little Toyo stoves, we got that. We got a barrel. We got fuel oil. Turns out 14 gallons a week covered us, which was way better, way cheaper than the two 40 pounders of propane a week. Sure. Sure. I mean, that was 70 bucks a week for heat. Wow. And so this little this little Toyo does great. It keeps us up to 70 degrees warmer than outside. What's, what's that called again? How do, you, how do you spell that? I'll add it to the show. Um, the brand is Toyotomi, T-O-Y-O-T-O-M-I. It's, That's good enough. And, I'll find yeah. It. Yeah. They're, they're pretty nice little things. They've got like a big one that'll heat your whole cabin. They've got the hydronics. So it has like a boiler and it sends hot water through these circulators. Pretty cool thing. Um, so that kept us warm. Eventually, yes, I want a wood stove. I want as many versions of heat as possible. Um, <laughs> Two is because, one, one is none, three is for me, and four is more. Like, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, here's the thing. If you have electricity with a Toyo, you have heat 90% of the time. Well, maybe 99% of the time. Okay. They're pretty reliable. The generator, not so much. So last um, January, we had about two weeks straight where we had the 40 below temps every night. 40, possibly as cold as 50 below. Um, my friend's car uh, goes down up to 45 below and then just blanks, you know, does the dash dash because it doesn't know how to do any colder than that. Um, 
So <laughs> we had trouble keeping our generator running. It actually, with the cold, the oil somehow started bubbling into the carburetor. Brand new generator. How is it doing this? Um, so we went ahead and had to be pulling it in every four or five hours to clean out the carburetor to make it run for another four or five hours. And so we ended up getting that little buddy heater and I will praise that heater to the roof. You know, it's good for indoors. You hook up up to your big pro with our big 40 pounder. That thing would run for almost a month, maybe not nonstop, but it was a good backup. And so Generator die. My son would hop up. I'd start the heater. He'd get the generator. We had a teamwork thing going. Oh, and just so you know, the generator never dies in the middle of the day. It's always like 11 o'clock at night, just as you're going to sleep. Oh, I know. And I like know. a little baby, you have that sense of, oh, the baby's about to cry. Get it before it screams. Yeah, the generator starts making that certain noise, and you know it's going to go out. And yeah. Mine's partial to 3 a.m., that's its that's its time to throw a tantrum about 3 a.m. and you know mm-hmm. we get we call cold here y'all don't call cold but y'all call it j- June but in our <laughs> climate when it's yeah. when it spends two weeks below freezing and nothing is built for that to happen and the generator Absolutely. shuts off at three o'clock in the morning you either get up and you fix it or when you get up in the morning nothing will work. Mm-hmm. When it unthaws, water will go everywhere. So you either keep it yes. running or you don't, right? And I think there's like, I think that's probably why there's a lot of lessons about preparedness and living the way that you do, because basically you're having to live with that mindset at least six months out of the year, right? Um, try nine. Okay, nine. <laughs> um, nine for the cold. And, and, and think about around. in school, and then when your kid gets out for summer break. That's yeah. how much we had snow. September 19th was our first snow last year. May okay. 16th was our last snow. <laughs> and last snow doesn't mean it's not cold no more. It just means it didn't snow oh, no more. No. You know? Well, you know, it melted and it was like somebody flipped a switch. That was Monday. Yeah. We had another inch of snow thrown at us. And then by Friday, it was warm enough that the highway crews were working on the highway. So. Because, yeah. you know, that permafrost, as things thaw, the highway shifts and sags, and you got to repave portions of it to keep it in shape. So what do you think the most important thing is to make mm-hmm. a lifestyle like you're living actually work and, and, and to make it worth doing? Like Community. Okay. You have to have connections. You've got to have people. Um, you know, that, that time when it was 40 below, I mentioned my friend's car, uh, just to paint the full picture, the night that it hit 40 below, the alternator on our truck died. It was not totally unexpected. We just hadn't gotten it swapped out yet, but you know, when it's 40 below, you do not touch metal. So forget about touching tools unless you had a heated shop, um, I don't even open doorknobs with a bare hand because it, you'll feel it for the next four hours. Um, so being on my friend's property, we told her, hey, you know, this is going on. We're going to need help getting to work in the morning. So we managed to carpool. And then um, 
two days later, our generator starts dying. And of course, theirs was dying, too. So we ended up bunking in their cabin because they had power and heat. And we ended up taking turns. Their generator die. We pull it in, put ours out to run for the five hours it was going to run before it sucked oil again. Figure out what's going on with theirs because you get frost in the lines. The air intake will clog up with frost. And it's yeah. So it's just this constant, constant between Honestly, my son and her oldest daughter, she's the generator expert in that house, whether she wants to be or not. <laughs> and um, just keep swapping it out and maintain the heat so you don't freeze. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's cold when you come home and your dish soap is frozen solid or your cooking oil is completely solid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just those little things. Yeah. Yeah. So but, what is your plan to eventually get this cabin actually built? It sounds like you've had setback, setback. And and like, so this said it would, there would not be a third winter and it sounds like winter is coming and there will be a third well, winter. So what do you? Well, there will not be a third winter in the RV. Okay. We've already got that set up. Um, yeah. I'm the place that I work has a staff housing unit and I'm actually going to be here for the winter. And that's the place my dog can be. So that he's not all abandoned. Yeah. Like right beside me. Um, my son rented an apartment with a friend. And so I'll probably visit him on the weekends or whatever. And we're both set for this winter. Okay. We're still hopeful that my friend's sawmill is going to function to get our lumber cut, but we're, we're going to have to figure something out. I think I'm in a situation where I can start stockpiling some of the money that's been a little drained from some of our unexpected expenses. And then I'll be able to, if I have to, I'll buy lumber. I'm going to figure this out. I hope to get something put on that property next summer and we'll see how it works. You know, but see, I like hearing stories like this, not because I like, the pain, but you know, you get tired of the heart hands on Instagram and everything's perfect. And these people live in their perfect little teeny house. That's 15 square feet and everybody's happy. You're like bullshit. Like life is hard at times. And when you're trying to make a living in a place where mother nature spends a good portion of her effort trying to kill you, like, of mm-hmm. course it's hard. It's going to be hard. And that's what makes it worth doing to me. Oh, absolutely. And you know, the harder it is, I never said that I wanted to lose heat when it's 40 below. I never said that I really want to go. Um, I've Okay, you learn things. And one of the things that I've learned in about the last year, at least a year too late, is that the people that have been up here for a long time don't put a toilet seat on the outhouse. They take a layer of that solid foam to set on the platform with the proper hole cut out. So, you know, you have your plywood and you cut the hole out. You make a matching piece of that solid foam. My son used screws to attach the toilet seat through the seat. And that has an effect very below. You probably don't want to know much more than that. But, you, you know, the same thing is you don't want to touch the doorknobs or the tools at 30, 40 below. It, it, it'll it burn you. You don't want to touch screws with a certain part of the human anatomy. No. You know, I, got you. I mean, your uh, hands are a little tougher. <laughs> yeah. So, 
uh, asked. Uh, it men. makes me think of that scene in that movie. What was it? Uh, Christmas story where the kid puts his tongue on the, on, on the, uh, never watched the movie. Right. <laughs> I've never watched that movie, but I remember my brother did a similar thing when he was about eight years old. And I'm, I'm thinking you're not, I was younger than him and I'm thinking yeah. you're not smart for licking the ice in the chest freezer and he left his no, tongue. No, not good. Um, no, no, let's not do that. <laughs> I mean, do you think this is something anybody can do or maybe people, maybe it's like anybody mm-hmm. can, but maybe not everybody should? Ooh. Are we right for you? Kind of that type of thing. Like you could do it, but, you but it's have to. Be willing to let go of some expectations. Uh, okay, one thing with the conditions I'm living in, I'll listen to this pod, these podcasts, and they're they're interviewing somebody out of North Korea, and they're talking about how horrible it was having to pull water from the river to wash their clothes and stuff like that. I'm thinking, wait a minute, hmm. so you had a river <laughs> <laughs> I had a creek <laughs> on my name on my friend's property, but not on mine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and the the host is going oh how horrible and and you didn't have running water and I'm like wait a minute what am I in and then I'll think I'm living in an RV and yet I'm complaining about the people in the all the campers in Portland yeah. um, perspective but one of the things is you have to have a mindset of where you're going to do what's needed to do you have to have teamwork um, you could do it alone but it's really really hard. You have to be have somebody that's willing to pick up when you can't. Um, and that's where the community part comes in. But, you know, you got to know you got to be willing to learn. You've got to be able to figure out the tools. You got to have a problem solving mindset. I mean, you can sit there and just get so frustrated. You want to scream of nothing's working. But. If you can step in and say, well, wait a minute. I, I could be mad that it's not working or I could say, what can I do to make it work? And there have been moments like that. I watched my, my poor son. He has to step away and let somebody else figure it out because he's so frustrated. But then there's somebody there that can help him out. Um, yeah. The, and all of these things were, if you want to do it as a family, your family has to be willing to do it. Um, if you want to live in a dry cabin, go primitive camping, <laughs> you know, if, where you've got a tent and you have to haul your own water to a place. I mean, yeah, bring your I need a cot if I'm camping. I'm not sleeping on the ground. Yeah. Like for 20 years, I'm not sleeping on the ground because if mama doesn't sleep, nobody gets to be happy when we're camping. But um Go out where you don't have water, where there's the outhouse, and spend a week or two out there just for the fun of it and see if it's something that you enjoy, if you can find the enjoyment in it. And, yeah, that definitely helps sort out whether it's something you want to do or not, because at some point, that's what your life would be. Yeah, um, yeah. I think like it's just, you know, me, I can rough it like my wife. Camping is an Airbnb cabin. <laughs> in the woods. That's camping, right? Like, and it's not because yeah. she's a prima donna about it or anything, but when it really gets down to it, like, like you said, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And like, she's just happier that way. And it was, it isn't that she wouldn't rough it, it, that she wouldn't enjoy it. Like, and when we're yeah. going on 
especially like vacation or whatever, like I want to enjoy it. And so we, we've talked about camping before. And it's all a great idea until the reality hits. And I think that's how it is for, for, you know, different people have different ideas of what's fun. And I think even that changes throughout our lives. I, I used to think it was fun to dangle from rocks and cl- do rock climbing with no safety gear. And now I'm 50. And if I fall and I don't die, I'm going to ruin what's left of my life. And I don't want to do that. And I got grandkids and I think differently. And I think Absolutely. like we, we all adapt to the situation that's right for us. And I think the biggest thing I'm taking from you is you got to want it. Mm-hmm. You got to want it. Like it has to be the thing you want. I think that's a good lesson in life. And it, in can't be, it can't be just one. If we're coming up, I mean, I came back in 2019 and I had this printout from a real estate agent and I, I pulled it out in front of my three boys and I'm like, I have this crazy idea. <laughs> my oldest said, Hmm, that's interesting. My youngest <laughs> said, not for me. Yeah. My middle son is like, when do we leave? And so, you know, my oldest is now, I still have the property in Oregon. He's taking care of it. It gives them, you. between him and my brother and my mom, they have affordable rent. And eventually I'll see if I can pass that to him. And my middle son up is loving it up here. Yeah. So you get the ones that it's right for. And I'm lucky in that my boys are all functioning adults at this point in life. I am so proud of them. That is great. But, that is great. Because uh, so many aren't in that age bracket, and I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just stating a fact. It's it's hard it's for hard. me to understand. I I left when I was 17 and never went back, and I was honestly mm-hmm. living on my own when I was 16. So when I hear somebody's 28 years old living at home in the basement or something, it's always like, yeah. you know, and it's not because well I'm saving up a bunch of money because I'm going to build my house. It's like like and they're not function like you said functioning. They're not doing something. Yeah. They're just like functional adult you are yeah, paying yeah. your bills you are working i mean i know an adult that's not functional and yeah. i but i think adolescence this is off the topic but adolescence was a mistake right so we didn't used to have adolescence there was no such thing as adolescence mm-hmm. there was you as a boy and then you as a man or you as a girl and then you was a woman and your goal as you mm-hmm. you know hit those teenage years was to get to where people would recognize you as a man or a woman, as swiftly as you could. And then somewhere along the lines in the last 70 years, we came up with this concept of this in-between state of adolescence. And I guess it makes sense. You know, a 15-year-old is really not a man, and he's not completely a boy anymore. So, yeah, it's one of those well-intentioned ideas and like a bubble that just started expanding, like not really mm-hmm. a bubble, because a bubble would be uniform. Right, more like one of them, it, one of them balloons and clouds making all that of shit, and it just started going forward. Mm-hmm. And now we have 27, 28, 30 year old adolescents, adult yeah. adolescents. It's like a a counterintuitive reality, and you see it all around you, and it's like, man, I don't. If you twenty eight mm-hmm. acted like that when I was a kid. You'd have got your ass kicked. I mean, I was going to say it. Like, like somebody will like, there's something wrong with you, and maybe if you yeah. a couple times, you'll grow up. Like, it wasn't a thing, and it's become, especially in the last 20, 30 years, it's become a thing, this idea of this in-between stage. And it can last as long as you're comfortable. You can be 70. Well, you have I think a lot of it feeds into the whole education idea, and I'm about to step into a whole other rant. Okay. Um, <laughs> my boys – 
struggled with school and school made every excuse for why they can't succeed. And it pissed me off. Um, I won't go into too many details, but I knew they were incredibly smart, but not academic. So toward the end of high school, I'm just telling them, Hey, you know what? Get in fact, my youngest son, he hit senior year and had 10 credits out of the 26. He's supposed he's finished junior year and his school has allowed him to fail having only 10 credits and, like I'm, I'm gone 12 hours a day to work to make sure that there's a roof over their head and food on the table. And I'm looking at him, you know, this stuff, hmm. he could pass the tests, but he didn't get the grades, the, the homework crap. So I looked at him and said, you know, you want to go get your GED because I don't want to see you being a senior, then a super senior and a super duper senior. And they keep you three years past when you should have graduated because they're not, I'd already been through this with the school district and some of my kids friends helping them get that diploma and mm, i told you it was a rant no i, I, <laughs> no, I get it well, but um made failure comfortable so yes. you're gonna get more failure we've made poverty oh, comfortable so you get more poverty we've made uh being average not only comfortable but being equal to being excellent so you're gonna get more average like everything mm-hmm. you make more doable, comfortable, easy to get by with, you're going to get more of. We've made mediocrity the standard, so we have this tons of mediocrity. The district gets more money for the every kid that's on yeah. an IEP. So, yeah, get your kid extra help, sure, but realize if they're still failing with that extra help, that help is not helping them, and the school is just absorbing the money. Whew. My oldest... Here's how I know the school is what failed them, not the kids. My oldest went to a program program in Oregon. It's called Oregon Youth Challenge Program. It's like run through the National National Guard. It's a six-month alternative high school program. You show up the first two weeks is boot camp. You're doing PT. You're in uniform. You are expected to behave like you're in boot camp. Um, and then the, the whole their entire language is when you graduate. Nobody's allowed to say if. When you graduate, you will have eight credits. And if you do well, then maybe we can get you another two credits. He needed 10 credits to graduate. Gotcha. He changed. He is one of those kids that was kind of an odd, a little bit. In fifth grade, we actually ran him through the autism, this diagnosis thing. So he has an educational diagnosis for autism. And he just thinks differently. His brain goes down a different path than anybody else's. We couldn't play Pictionary together because he didn't get anything we were drawing, and we didn't understand the thing he drew until he said what it was, and then we did. But he goes to this school. He finally is able to stand up straight, look people in the eye, because it was expected of him. He's finally able to approach people that he doesn't know and talk like an adult with them. He's finally able, he joined a singing group. That was not what I expected in the least bit, but it gave him so much confidence. He did wonderfully. He got his eight credits. He graduated. He got a diploma out of it. He still had two credits to get his Oregon high school diploma, comes back to the school district And in another six months, the school district could not get him through the classes it required to get those two credits. 
They made, again, every excuse as to why he had to fail, why he can't do it, why I should just be okay with him not doing it. And at that point, he ended up getting his GED. And he worked his butt off. And he is amazing. And I'm so proud of him. And I'm I'm disgusted by the school. So if you listen to me, you know how I am about school. Like, get your kids out of the school. Absolutely. I I wish I could have figured out homeschool. I don't know how it would have worked. Um, I'm not a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. I tried that. It was very bad for my mental health. I need the structure of, you know, I need external structure. Working is better for me. I, I discovered that about myself. But my husband was another ADD. My kids came by it all naturally. And so we... I wish I could have homeschooled. Yep. I, I, maybe nowadays it would be easier if when my kids have kids, I will do everything I can to encourage them to find a different path of education. We'll see what happens, but I don't. We need a thousand paths. We need paths that have not been. Oh, right. Because there's so many people in your situation. You're a single parent and here's this jackass Spearco mm-hmm. telling you to homeschool. You're like, screw him. I, and I know, but I see, I understand that. My my thing is, if you don't keep asking how, you'll never get an answer. So I exactly. always push people to try to find a way. Let's kind of move on, though. Let's talk a little bit yeah. about what do you do for a living now? You're shuttling people mm. back and forth, right? I am a shuttle driver for a tourist destination. Um, I bring people to and from. Um, they've asked me not to name them, okay. but it, they're pretty awesome. It's an Aurora thing. Uh, Aurora is a huge thing up here. And actually this is where the pandemic was a blessing to interior Alaska. Okay. People think of Finland and Iceland and and you have no idea how many people I had get in my van and say, yeah, we were going to go to Finland to watch the Aurora or Iceland. And then Iceland was going to charge them $3,000 a piece as a testing fee, non-refundable if they've tested positive because they're not going to allow people into the it was wild, crazy, crazy. So here are these people with a disposable income. They want to travel. They want to have these amazing experiences. And so where are they going to go? Hey, Alaska exists and we don't need a passport. Yeah. And, you know, way cheaper than international travel. And so, yeah, we've the, the company I work for, they're, trying to create an amazing experience for people. And I think they do pretty well. I'm so happy working up here. So um, that actually is counterintuitive then for me, because I figured your high season would be the, the pretty time of year, mm-hmm. the, the spring so, summer. But so you're, or you need darkness. So you like, cause I, I saw one picture on your Instagram and it's like, it's 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. And you were like fairy and firefighters or something like that at the time. And they're like, mm-hmm. they finally got to sleep. And it was like, well, that looks like three o'clock in the afternoon here, right? So you ain't going to get a lot of aurora at the height of summer. <laughs> Absolutely not. See it. So you're having heavy tourist activity more in your winter. There. Okay. So Alaska has two worlds. Okay. <laughs> look, look at, um, so December 21st is the winter solstice here in Fairbanks. You have the sunrise about 11, 10 in the morning. Okay. And then it will set at about 2.40 in the evening or 
evening, afternoon. It's okay. up above the horizon for three and a half hours. Okay. Okay. Now you have an hour and a half of pre-dawn light, hour to hour and a half of twilight. So maybe five to six hours of the sky is not dark. Okay. Every minute of that has color. So okay. you can, summer's a pretty t- I will say winter, I can't keep my house off the sky. I actually okay. have to force my concentration back onto the road because everywhere I'm driving, I'm, I'm just popping up to the sky. There's this thing, I guess somebody called it Alpenglow, where at sunset, the entire world turns pink. Mm. It's not every night, but when the conditions are right, it is the most beautiful thing. You're just driving through pink and purple and there's no words. Um, It makes the cold worth it. And uh, as far as the cold goes, I will tell people it's just like if you live in Las Vegas. My sister lives in Las Vegas. In summer, it's like 116 and miserable. So you go from your air-conditioned house to your air-conditioned car that you start ahead of time so it cools down so you can touch the seat and the steering wheel and not burn your fingers. It's the same thing. You go from your heated house to the car you started ahead of time to warm it up. And so, yeah, you, it it's not all that different. It's a harsh climate, yes, but there's ways to work with it. And a lot of fabulous things you can do. So, and then summer, of course, is the time of light. Yes, the sun sets for a couple, two, three hours a night. But, you know, when it's down, you have that hour and a half yeah. of twilight that blends with that hour and a half of pre-dawn light. And there is no yeah. such thing as dark. We are finally, finally getting to the point where I will wake up at one in the morning because the dog wants out and it's dark enough that we have the light come on outside a security light. Wow. Um, I mean, even, like nowhere near as far north. I was in, mm-hmm. now it was northern Montana, but it was just Montana uh, mm-hmm. probably six, seven years ago. And it was July, August, somewhere in that time range. And had that hotel not had those complete dark out curtains, I don't oh, think I could have sleep. It was like 11 o'clock. And it was like, it wasn't light, but it wasn't dark. You Did know? you see the stars? Like kind of thing. And you're like, how do and, you know, I'm going, well, a month and a half ago in, in mid June, this was more, you know, this light out till midnight in freaking Montana. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how do you people not go crazy? But I guess you just adapt to wherever you live. Yes, you do adapt. Um, number one, blackout curtains are your friend. And in the summer, that first summer, I actually was setting alarms for myself. So, you know, six o'clock, you might think about dinner. Uh, Ten o'clock, I had one that I literally labeled, why aren't you in bed? Yeah, yeah. And Because otherwise, you'll be puttering around. You'll be working and doing stuff. And you suddenly look up and wonder, why am I hungry? Why am I so cranky? And you look at your watch and it's midnight. Okay. <laughs> it's midnight and you yeah. haven't eaten dinner. You've been working since noon and, and, and there's still stuff to do. And yeah, you, you got to live by alarms or something until you gain some sort of a rhythm of your life. But yeah, watching the sunset at, in June, it might be 1 a.m., almost 2 a.m., but it's gorgeous hey. too. What would you tell somebody that's thinking that they might want to live this type of life and they're, you know, 
kind of on the fence about whether they're going to take the jump or not. Boy, go out and visit. You know, you got a you got a friend or a contact that's doing it, or you look up, I suppose, on Hip Camp because you're out in the middle of nowhere. How else are you going to make some money? Yeah. Um, there's so many things to think of. Yeah, you can live off grid. Do you want to live without internet? Do you want to live without cell service? Um, there are places, if I didn't have Wi-Fi up here where I'm working, I would not have cell service at all. Mm. Um, on my property, I have like three bars of Verizon. Um, there's a couple other cell companies that may or may not have better service, and I, I yeah. may look into it. you got to figure out what are you going to do for Internet if you want that. Um, but, yeah, look into what's there. How are you going to make your living? There's a lot of tourist things. Uh, wait, straight up right now, I will tell you, if somebody was to show up and say, where can I go find a job? I can walk them to 10 different places that will hire them on the spot with or without paperwork to say they're qualified for something because it's like, okay, here's what we're going to have you do. Like my boss at one point, he was just so frustrated. All I need is for somebody to show up, do what they're supposed to do and leave when they're supposed to not early. If you have a work ethic, places like this, don't care what you what degree you do or don't have. I mean, if you got something that's actually functional, ours the better, but it's more like the practical experience and willingness to learn. But yeah, visit places, explore, make sure it's a place that you like. And then I think that's good advice no matter what, whether it's the Alaskan interior, rural Tennessee, like I always tell people don't don't think I'm gonna go to the Ritz Hotel or whatever it is, and I'm going to go to all the tourist stuff, and then I'm going to decide that's mm-hmm. the place where I want to live. Go rent somebody's house with Airbnb or something like that. Absolutely. Go live there for two weeks. Shop at the same grocery store or whatever it is that you'd be shopping at. Like if you are a church going mm-hmm. person, go to the church that, that, that you Absolutely. would be Absolutely. You know, whatever. And, and I'm not saying like those things. I'm saying better. whatever it is for you, whatever it is for you, Go experience life there. Like, Mm -hmm. you can do the tourist stuff, too, but, like, experience life there and say, can I see myself living this way? Because I find when we travel, like, there's times where I'm like, this is a perfectly nice place, but I don't want to live here. You know, I'll look at the pictures of it before we go and go, God, I'm going to be wanting to buy a house there. And and after a week there, I'm like, I'll even come back, but this Mm -hmm. isn't where I want to live. And I think that... If you're going to make like this massive shift in your life, then, and that's kind of what you did. You went and spent some time there first and then said, yeah, before I'm going to pull the ripcord and hope the chute opens, I'm going to get an idea what the landing is going to be like on the other end of it. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing. I wanted to make sure I had a place I'm running to because yes, in a way I'm running from, but I wanted to have a place I'm running to, even if, it's 10 years till I get a cabin on that land. It was my stake in the ground saying, here's a place I'm going. So I don't have to stay in Oregon doing a job that's destroying my health in every way. Um, yeah. Having, ha- you got to have a thing you're running to. You got to make sure that the people where you're moving, you're going to get along with. And I will say, I, 
I know people up here of, if you actually get into discussions, there's all kinds of political beliefs too. Um, but the, one of the most liberal people I know carries mm. because, well, it's a tool up here. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a yeah. very different number of private licensed pilots. It's a different world. Well, right? Because like, that's how you get to and from the store. Uh, when I bring people up, <laughs> so when I bring people up from the airport or from their hotel to come up here and have their adventure, I tell them, number one, the entire state of Alaska has about 725,000 people. How many people are in your town? Most a lot of people come from a town that's bigger than the entire population of the state. 300,000 of those roughly are in Anchorage. And, you know, and Anchorage is the big city place. It's, I, I was just talking with somebody and they're like, yeah, you walk through Anchorage. You don't, you're not meeting friendly people. I haven't hung out in Anchorage, so I personally don't know. I've only been up here in Fairbanks and everybody here is so friendly. Everybody here is so nice. Um, Fairbanks is, about 32,000 people and it's the second largest city, but it's so important because anybody North of Fairbanks, anybody East of Fairbanks that a lot of people South of Fairbanks come here because this is where their grocery store is. They'll drive two, three, up to 400 miles to come restock their supplies. And so having knowing where that is and being willing to do that and having the mindset that allows you to plan ahead for that. Because if you're going to drive 400 miles for groceries, you're not going to be doing that every week. You're probably not going to be doing that every month. (laughs) And if that grocery run has to include an airplane, that's going to take you, you're going to do that even less frequently. Um, Yeah. There's probably going to be like five people going, Hey, can you pick up something for me? And like mm -hmm. the plane only has so much cargo hold. And it's interesting, like different places have things like that that are very normal in that place that you wouldn't think of somewhere else. Like one of my favorite places in the world is Sanibel Island, Florida. Well, the kids Mm -hmm. there, they go school on Island until eighth grade. Then they go to high school off Island. When they get out of eighth grade, if they want to, but almost all of them do it, they come out of eighth grade with Mm -hmm. a, uh, a boating license. And I don't remember what it's called. It's not a full captain's license where you could take people out, but like literally at that point, you're qualified to work under a captain on a charter boat. Nice. In eighth grade. And like, so you're like, well, do you have a charter license? Well, no, you don't. Like maybe like it, last year, like you don't have a pilot's What's wrong? Like, well, what's wrong with you? Why don't you have a pilot's license? Like, and I well, think and- that, like, that's part of the charm of going to a place and actually living there is like, it's like if you just, like, we go every year. We spend two mm-hmm. weeks. That's why we know stuff like that. We actually have friends that live there. And that's totally different yeah. than visiting a place for a weekend. That's what I was getting at, you know. Yeah. Well, up here, too, I see you go up the highway, and beside the main highways, there's almost always a trail where people will use their ATVs, their four-wheelers, their side-by-sides. In winter, of course, it's the snow machines. And they'll use that to, the Safeway in North Pole, Alaska, it's about 10 miles south of Fairbanks. If you're into Christmas, you got to visit the Santa Claus house. Um, <laughs> but at, at the Safeway in summer, you'll see teenagers have driven their 
four-wheelers up to Safeway to go get their snacks, and then they'll drive back home. Um, or, you know, people will pop down to the Fox Grocery up north, and and they'll take their snow machine to the grocery store to pick up the bread and milk. It. I've even seen the snow machines there in Walmart parking lot. <laughs> and so it's all these kids maybe and you'll oh boy there was one recently where there was this whole string of them and you could tell it was a family group because there's the little kids in the side by side and up ahead actually leading it looked like was he had to have been like eight years old total confidence and just the whole and and I talk about my friend she's they have a total of eight kids the two oldest rent an apartment actually right across same building as my son. They helped him find that one. And the younger six from the 18 year old girl down to Mr. Surprise five year old, um, they're in the cabin and mom was working with the oldest and the, the second oldest girl. And then the kids knew how to keep the generator running during the day. You know, the 14-year-old son was watching his younger siblings, keeping the generator on. And of course, you know, major entertainment is like Xbox. Yeah. I think they learned, one of the boys was learning to read from the Xbox. He wanted to know about the animals in the game he was playing and had to read because of that. Um, and Minecraft, he... <laughs> I am not anti, I'm anti obsessed with games, but I'm not anti video game because I've watched my kids figure out economics from Minecraft. Gotcha. They're sitting there debating the value of this versus that. And I have this and you have that. And how are we going to trade at what rate? I'm like, dude, that's economics. And they're 13 years old. You can't get that in school. And if a teacher was to do it, they'd turn their backs on it. But, um, yeah, these these kids are able to take care of themselves, and they have a confidence that you don't see in a lot of other kids. Yeah, and like again, that's that's why I think people need to travel more because I think a lot of people are like, I want to go do something else, but they don't know what. Go experience a place like you're talking about, or go. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when we were running the farm for Perma Ethos in West Virginia, mm-hmm. we were kind of lost, and these you see these two horses come trotting down the road, and there's two mm-hmm. kids sitting up, want one in each saddle, and they're like. Where, where are y'all looking for? And we told them, oh, come on, we'll show you. And they go hauling ass down the road. These kids were like, one was eight and one was 11. Yeah. And they're out riding, riding fence line on their, their, their old man's farm or whatever. And, and, and knowing enough to go, these people look like they're confused, but they don't look like they don't belong. So we'll help them. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and like, you, you, you think Let that. Let your kids do things. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Think about it. Look back at the little rascals. How old were those kids? Yeah. They were like three to five, maybe six years old. And what are they doing? They're out roaming around with the dog to watch over them, getting into all sorts of mischief. And nobody's calling the cops that these kids are running loose. You see a five-year-old. How many people get the cops called on them because their kids playing in the yard nowadays? Free-range Since... children are now a, a crime, you know. I grew yeah. up in Gen X, man. We were basically, you left the house on a weekend. You left the house in the morning. If you came mm-hmm. home before the porch light come on, 
you got chores, so you didn't go home. And if you didn't come home when the Porsche light came on, you got your ass whooped. So you came home when the Porsche yeah, Or you right. went to your friend's house when his Porsche light came on, and you called and you told them where you were, and they're like, okay, yeah. you're at Mikey's, well, that's fine. Right? What, are you really? Let me talk to his mom. Is his mom there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Miss Maluska. She hear, oh, I heard her in the background. You're good. And you went on with your life. Like, that's how I did. I'm not that old. Yep. But, yeah, you – oh, boy. You remember. I remember being, like, 16 years old, and my sister had these two friends. They could count down to the minute how much longer until they could get their permit to drive. I mean, it's like one year, five months, and three days, and two hours, and I can get my permit. But you think about it now, my kids didn't quite care. I think my youngest got his license at 20, and, yeah, they just put it off and put it off. Because nowadays, I think it's a lot because we have the online stuff and kids can collect in chat rooms and Discord and, and, you know, they'll have their groups and their servers and the games and stuff, kind of watching my kids and what their friend experience is like, whereas our generation had to go to the mall or whatever was available for your gatherings. Yeah. We're kind of in a different subject, but it's it's true. I mean, like, I, I, I collected scrap copper to buy my mm-hmm. first car. Right. Yeah. I mean, a car represent, I paid $400 for my first car. The insurance was more than the car. Um, but it was freedom. Like I could go places. I could mm-hmm. do things. And like your, your friends would be like, Oh, you got a car now. You got gas money. Cause if you ain't got gas money, <laughs> you ain't riding. Like, like that was yeah. kind of like the whole, like we had a, so you had a hustle mentality right out of the gate, you know, because okay, first I got to yeah. figure out how to get a car. Then I got to figure out how to get gas in it. I know how I'm going to get gas in it. My friends don't have. Well, then you also have to learn how to fix it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I I am of the opinion that your first car. car, I put a transmission in it three weeks after I bought it, right? Like. Yes, your first car should be halfway to the junkyard because number one, it's cheap, and number two, it's going to be a learning experience. Yeah. Because you know when it breaks down, you're going to figure it out real quick. But then again, it also ought to be. My middle son has what. He had an experience with his first car. He bought a car he should never have touched. His brother told him, don't touch this car. He said, shut up. You were to drive me here and not tell me what to do. (laughs) And he learned very, very quickly that maybe it's a good idea to listen to people that have actually put time into trying not to get taken for a ride on things. And so, yeah, but, you know, what... (laughs) If that feeds into the whole kit, I could go off on so many topics. Yeah. <laughs> but no, we need to wrap. I mean, we're over an hour. Here. Yeah, I know. You but know, a philosophy you know, website have- where you kind of blog a little bit about everything that's going yeah. on. Oh, I have so many half-written posts, and then I run out of internet, and then I forget. <laughs> Don't get back to it, and then it feels like, oh wait, I got that started, and now what was I going to say? Yeah, I have to update it. Um. But yeah, I do. I've got chaosville.com. It is C-A-O-S-V-I-L-L-E. Uh, play on the name. <laughs> and it, it also matches my household at times. Um, I'm also chaosville on Instagram. And I don't 
do much on Facebook. I'm only there because of one group that I love to follow. Um, I'm a little bit on MeWe as well. I'll pop in commenting on things. I don't do a lot of posting. But yeah, I'm kind of giving people a little. Well, I'm trying. I'm I'm, I'm being retarded about yeah. doing it. But uh, here's some of your yeah. uh, your photography on your Instagram. I'll have a link to that and a link to Chaosville. Uh, okay. In the show notes today, if people want to check that out, and there's a pink sky. You that's yeah. Very yeah. pretty sky for sure. There's a little bit of snow and a little bit more snow and a little bit more snow and. That's, the little bit of generator. <laughs> I like that one right there. That's a beautiful picture. Oh, yeah, There's sunrise. I like that you're talking about and things like that. Yeah. Uh, several people have said in the comments while we were talking about the aurora and the sky and the winters and what they're like, that that has to go on their bucket list. And I, I would tend to agree. I think that would be. Absolutely. And there's a lot of places. There's some great Airbnbs I've heard of. There's some great bed breakfasts, lodges. There's, yeah, just dig into it. Find what's in your budget range. Um, there's some great hotels in Fairbanks too. And then you can do like an Aurora tour. There's the dog sledding. So many, so many fun things to do. And a lot of the people that'll take you out on the adventure things, they expect that you're coming from a warmer climate, and so they'll gear you up. They don't want you to get cold and want to stop in the middle. They want to keep you warm and take care of you. And there's some amazing restaurants up here in Fairbanks. So, yeah. Well, Check into it. If anybody wants to ask questions and prompt me to blog more, I would love to have more interaction and figure out what people actually want to hear. Cause it's like the same three people that would comment on my little blog. And that's partly why I'm letting it go as much as I did. It's like, I want to know what do people actually want to ask about? Yeah. What do people yeah. know? Well, we'll see if we can send some people your way. And uh, I appreciate you being with us today. I'm glad I found yeah. uh, the email purgatory folder. And, and, and I've got several people coming up that, I don't know yeah. what happened. I didn't leave during that period. It was like April and like this, there was like this vortex that sucked like four guest applications in. So, uh, we, we have a whole, whole litany of y'all from, from that email purgatory. I'm glad we got it out. Bonnie, thank you for being with us today. Yeah, it was fun. So it was a great discussion. I hope it's an inspiring story and I'm really glad that I, uh, fished her out of the, 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 the black hole of email that her guest app went into. I want to remind you guys, if you like the show and the work that I do, there is a few ways that you can help support us. One is to do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Today's item of the day is made by Anchor, and it is the Astro E7 26,000 milliamp hour portable chargers. Actually, that one in the smaller 20,000 one. But the, the, the big one, the 26,800 milliamp hour uh, charger is on sale today for 20% off. It is, in my opinion, for small devices like your iPhone, your Galaxy, your iPads, and stuff like that, the best backup power thing you can own. It is a beast. It will charge my iPhone 12, for instance, 10 times. I can run the phone all the way to zero and fully charge it 10 freaking times before I wear out that backup power. 
Think of the longevity that gives you during, let's say, a storm outage or something like that, especially if you're not like constantly using your phone and constantly recharging, if you're being smart about it and rationing it. And what I love about Anchor, they absolutely stand behind everything they make. I have never, I've been selling Anchor products as an affiliate for six years, I guess now. I have never had somebody email me and say, Jack, you're wrong. I had a problem and Anchor didn't fix it. They stand behind everything they make. They are the best value brand in electronics that I'm aware of. I, I'm like an Anchor freaking commercial in my house. I'm sitting here with my Anchor P2 earbud in my hand right now, and I just finished topping my phone off with my, my Anchor backup power. Like We have Anchor everywhere. My, my grandson is out doing his homeschool with a set of the uh, the G10 earphones on, over-the-ear earphones, because that way he can focus on his school instead of his sister complaining. Right. I mean, really, like when I say this is my favorite electronics value brand, I mean it. Uh, Anchor and E-Tech City, because some make, you know, they each make some things the other ones don't make. They're the ones to, to check out, and you can always find all of my recommendations at tspaz.com. Another way you can support us is listen to us on Fountain FM and either stream to us or boostagram us. I wanted to read just a couple boostagrams to you today, and I could never read them all, so I just thought I'd read a few. Um, Left Seat Life sent me 75 sats and said, I believe we'll look back on earning sats on Layer 3 now, like mining Bitcoin on crappy laptops in the early days. I, I agree. Uh, Sabrama sent me 375 sats. Got my full plus card yesterday. Thanks for the great information. And um, let's see. 375 sats from user 3624. Hey, y'all, what a great time listening to your podcast. Learned a lot, both educational about permaculture and TMI on personal info, uh, but I found it interesting, uh, to say the least. Great time and great stuff. A fellow veteran, thank you both for your service. Uh, that one's from my episode that I did with Billy Bond about a week ago. Here's one from the episode I did Monday on fall gardening. 1,000 sats from Zordon. Jack is a jerk. Now I get paid to listen to podcasts on Fountain. Did my first TSP clip, but the tool leaves a lot to be desired. Keep up the good work, TikTok, TikTok. I have to say, I don't think the, the, the clip tool really leaves a lot to be desired. It's, it's, it's pretty intuitive and pretty easy to make clips. They keep telling me it's going to change and get better, though, so I've been holding off on making a video of how to use it. But the clip tool is awesome. Kaysen says, screw you, jackass. My life was so much better before you. Here's 500 sats. The Scallywaggerist says, bust inside and building three fort by 16 foot beds right now. Great episode. Thanks, Jack. 500 sats. And again, I can't read them all, and one thing I think Fountain could do is help us creators by making things a little bit more organized. I will let you know that I am now part of Fountain's beta test group, and I am using their you know, their newer app before everybody else's, and they are working really hard in developing new things. Um, I know some of you have said, I'm not getting sats. I'd like you to make sure that's the case, because in the beta app right now, when I listen to other people's podcasts, it doesn't say that I'm getting sats, but when I check the transaction side, I am. So it's the exact opposite. So there's some quirks when you're building a new layered three tech like Fountain, but it's definitely worth checking out. And hey, free sats to uh, to listen to the podcast you listen anyway. Even if it doesn't work all the time, it doesn't matter. You're getting free sats to listen. Now, one thing you can check out, I don't know if it's available in the regular app yet, um, but when you're on the main page in Fountain right now, 
up on the right-hand corner next to the alerts where the little bell tells you things like people you follow share to clip whether there's three little lines for where all your setting stuff is. If you click that now, in the beta app at least, it says your flow. And it's like a bar with a progress thing on it. And the bigger that bar goes across, the more sats you're going to earn. And it's based on activity. Are you making clips? Are you, are you streaming to creators? Are you boosting creators? The more you're doing, the more you can earn. And I think they're working hard at more and more transparency as to how they decide how they distribute their sats. You have to realize, guys, it's not like each user gets X amount. They, they, they have to have like a daily budget. Like we can give out X number of sats today, and that gets distributed amongst all the users, and they're doing it based on kind of who's, who's doing the most for the ecosystem. And so I think that will be helpful. I am in direct communication with these guys, and I'm telling you that they're working hard. I've seen some people get really mad over basically 50 cents worth of sats. I, I, I think you're kind of missing the whole point of something like Fountain if you're doing that. Uh, by the way, I've heard from John Pugliano. Uh, as we, he, we reluctantly drug him into value for value and said, you know, how much have you earned? He said some, and it's, you know, he said how much it was. And he said, but you know what's more valuable is the boostergrams. And he sent me a screenshot of a very nice message from one of you guys that listened to him. That's what value for value is about, is us exchanging value with each other. Uh, so when you're listening to TSP, if you think that show was really valuable, then you decide what you think that show was worth with, you know, how much you stream or how much you boost. Just like, you know, imagine you went out to have dinner, and then after you ate, you decided how much you paid for your food. There are people that would go, well, you know, I got a free meal. Uh-huh. And there's people that would be like, that was a good meal. It was 20 bucks. There's people that would be like, that was a fantastic meal, you know, and maybe you pay more. And there's people like, it was okay, and they pay five bucks. Maybe five bucks for each person that had it. Depends on what it was, I guess. You know, it was a hot dog. Pretty good price. So do you think the show's hot dogs? You pay hot dog price. You think it's steak? You pay steak price. Anyway, and do that with everybody that you really listen to and really care about as podcasters. It's just a great way for us to interact with each other. And I know Fountain's working on ways to make the interaction a little bit better as well, where I can interact with you guys a little bit more strongly. And I've, I've been making suggestions, and basically they have been great. They have been like, you know... You can have all of this, but you can't have it all at once. And I understand that. Uh, hopefully you guys do as well. With that, we've wrapped up. Tomorrow, we'll have a Thursday show. It will not be Expert Council. Expert Council's moved back to Friday. And so I'll be doing a Just Jack show tomorrow to be determined right now. I'm not sure what we're going to do yet. And I keep getting a lot of questions about fall workshops. I'll say it again. Get on the Telegram uh, channels. The best way to make sure you don't miss anything. Tune into the show. When we're a couple weeks out from putting the tickets on sale, you'll hear about it like every day. The tickets are probably going to go on sale, I think it's the 17th of September. It's like the third Saturday in September. That's like generally always when they go on sale. It'll be like 9 o'clock Central Standard Time in the morning. And I'll say, here's the link. Sign up. And it'll be like two minutes and they'll be sold out. I don't say that to hype it and to sell tickets. I say that so that nobody... Nobody should be mad at me when it happens. When you show up 15 minutes late and you don't get a ticket, you shouldn't be mad at me. And it probably will go faster this year. I want to apologize. I think we did a good job last year, but I feel like a few things fell through and weren't as good as they could have been. They're going to not. That's not going to be a problem this year. I think that we just went too big last year. We, we sold 65 seats. And I feel at our size and the space and with meals and the you know the size of our shop building and everything, 
we just <clears throat> fell a little bit short. And most people are happy with like being 98% successful. I've been doing these events for a long time. I think I came out of the gate in my very first one better than most people. And I've tried to be a little bit better every year. And I think we've had some where you'd say it was 100% successful, and that just means we have to make the event better. Like if we had 100%, then we need to make the event better and be 100% again. And I feel like we were like 97% last year. And one of the reasons is we sold too many seats. And I would rather take in less revenue and do a better job for people. So it's it, it, the last three years have sold out in under five minutes. I think last year sold out in 90-something seconds. So be prepared, but that's when it's going to be. It's going to go on sale third Saturday of September. The event is going to be the week of November 11th. It'll run Wednesday show up. The event's actually Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You can stay over for Saturday night. Most people do. There's a lot of drinking going on, especially Saturday night. Sunday by 10.30, you, can't, you ain't got to go home, but you can't stay here off the property. And then Dorothy and I put our life back together. So that's, that's the deal. There are no more details than that, I promise you. There's not secret details you don't know about. All right. Anyway, I'll catch you guys tomorrow. It's been Jack with another episode of the Survival Podcast. They're gonna bail you out or just run you around. They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way